and welcome back to the podcast. Um, uh, yeah, it feels like it's been a while since I've sat down and had a chat with you, always is, but um, things have been happening. Uh, I want to talk to you about that today, um, but I also want to introduce a kind of a new format thing we're going to try with the podcast. Um, we're still going to be interviewing um, immigrant women who live in Sweden, uh, hear about their amazing stories and trying to sort of create that connection in the community with other women. But we're also going to be starting to add more information from the website. Um, we just want to join things up a little bit. It feels like we're all a little bit dissipated. So by pulling in more information and stuff that's happening on the website, we want to just connect the dots a bit, as it were. So yeah, trying again, it's all about building community, building community, building community. But uh, before we do that, uh, I want to introduce our interview for the week. And it's uh, with a lady called Lisa Furland, who I'm absolutely certain that some of you listening would have heard of. Um, Lisa is, um, well, when I first started out in Sweden and I was starting out the Little Bear Abroad Shin, shindig shenanigans Lisa was a huge inspiration to me um she she was her tenacity and determination was just so wow it really bowled me over and I learned a lot from her um in terms of creating you know a mobile career and something that you could uh, you know take with you and 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 re- and really reinventing oneself when you move abroad so um I met her possibly about three years ago and of course when I met her I was completely starstruck but um she's now turned into a good friend and uh well I when she announced that she was starting she or she when she announced that she was writing a children's book um all about kind of teaching children how to get their heads around elapsed time and analog clocks um i really wanted to support her um and she's running her um a, a crowdfunding campaign on kickstarter um and she's already 125% funded which i just think just goes to show how tenacious she is <laughs> um she is a marketing queen um but yeah they've all they've still also got another five days to go on this kickstarter campaign but it's such it's it's for the and it's a campaign for such a brilliant book um you'll hear all about it i'm going to get lisa to introduce the book properly to you because she can do it much more much much better than i can um but uh she has a lot she is a very very interesting lady and I'm really delighted that I had her on the podcast to be able to share her story and also to be able to talk about her life in Sweden and and um how she feel how Swedish she feels has that changed um since she moved to Sweden so um yeah uh pour a cup of tea sit down and uh, listen in okay um so welcome to the podcast Lisa thank you thank you Jim. um you're a bit of a, no, I was going to say you're a regular, but that's not true. You've been on the podcast before. Yes. <laughs> yes. We talked about giving birth in Sweden. We did. It was a great, it was a great one. It's one of our most listened to episodes, actually. Oh, mm-hmm. good. Um, but here today, you are here to talk about your latest book. Yes. Which is on the way to being published. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you like to introduce yourself um, uh 
to the listeners sure. uh, in case anybody who doesn't know who you are. <laughs> so, I am Lisa Furland and I am, I guess, a lot of things, but a, a mother and a writer and a publisher and an editor and just a creative person. But I started out as a sciencey, nerdy, geeky person. So <laughs> now we're going to talk about that journey official, later. <laughs> yeah, my official background <laughs> is uh, pretty nerdy. And uh, since moving to Sweden, I've taken on more of a creative and have been inspired by all that's happening around me. So mm-hmm. I think it has been great to tap into that, the mm-hmm. local inspiration and, and turn that into a career. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I, yeah, we're going to talk about that journey from go- <laughs> from being, you know, science nerd to creative, creative force yeah. no I would say force it's a force um but tell us about your book because um I, I mentioned it on our Instagram page today and you've also written a really lovely little short tidbit for littlebearabroad.com um about the the idea behind the concept but what how did you arrive at the at this this idea because it's really quite um yeah, I had never, I'd never kind of thought about it before in terms of digital, or I mean, analog clocks beginning to disappear, mm-hmm. and how that would impact children's ability to conceptualize minutes, hours, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Time blocks, elapsed time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's sort of the thing is that um, you know the the time thing kind of came later. It was the the rhyming and the Halloween fun came first, and then it just lent itself so beautifully to time. And when I um, sent my my story out to beta readers. They were like, "You have to have a clock. You have to have a clock mm. on this because you're talking about time and elapsed time. Mm-hmm. There must be a, a big clock phase and um, introduce kids to the concept of time at a much earlier yeah. age because it's required in school by the time they get to first grade. That's when they officially start mm-hmm. learning here in Sweden, and uh, sim- similar in the U.S. and in the U.K." But then my son was really struggling with understanding time. And I get it, you know, we we live up north where there isn't a lot of daylight or there's so much daylight. And so it's hard for them to to Mm. correlate the amount of daylight with time. Mm -hmm. And you know, the the time of the day, it's 9 p.m., but it's not dark. So it doesn't mean anything to them. So you have to kind of teach them time at an earlier age. And just looking around our house, like we didn't have any, growing up, I had a grandfather clock, I had an analog clock in the kitchen, we had all these things ticking around the house, and now we don't. We don't have these things. They they fall into disrepair, and you just never buy one, you never fix it, you never just, it doesn't, it's and no I don't longer know, decoration. Yeah, you know? I, know, I, I don't know about you, but I use my telephone. Yeah. So yeah. it's like I don't even have a, we don't even have a clock in the kitchen that tells no. us, you know, so it's, yeah. Yeah, so it so all these visual clues that that you and I grew up with in mm-hmm. our house, our children are not. Yeah, and so time is a tricky concept to teach anyway. I mm-hmm. mean, even adults struggle with mm-hmm. managing time, mm-hmm. and getting to places on time, and estimating how much time it's going to take, and those sorts of things. Uh, but that's a real life skill that we need to teach our kids, and it's yeah. disappearing from our culture. And teachers struggle with teaching it; they just want to get rid of it altogether. They're like, "Just look at your clock; it's fine. Look at your phone." Uh, but I, I really believe that this is a, a disappearing skill that we need to, as parents yeah. and as teachers, teach our kids. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, as, as I said before, I had never thought about it until <laughs> I read your article and I was like, oh, yeah, our, we, we don't have a clock face in yeah. our house anywhere. You know, it's yeah. all just done digitally on our computers or with a, you know. Um, and um, it's true what you were saying about children not understanding in the article you mentioned, you ended up using 
episodes of a TV show yeah. or 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 a piece of music to sort right. of un- get the kids to understand. Okay, now you can listen to this piece of music and then it's time for bed. Yeah. Or and, and, why, and that's why are we same, doing that? I know. Versus <laughs> saying you have five more minutes, you know, because the kids don't understand. They understand. Yeah. I can watch one more TV show. They understand how long that is. That's a twenty-minute block or something. Yeah. They don't understand what twenty minutes is. Yeah. And exactly. so uh, every time our kids get in the car, they say, you know, how how long of a drive is it? And I say, oh, it's about 40 minutes. And they say, is that is that long? Is that short? I say, it's about two shows worth. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> but so I just keep breaking it into pieces that they can understand. And yeah. isn't it better to teach them actual time? Absolutely. You know, the core of time. Um, rather than always relating it to these other blocks yeah. of, of time. And it was your son, wasn't it, who yeah. helped you come up with the, the concept for the book. So tell me how yes. that happened. Yeah, he was, it was funny. It was Halloween last year, mm-hmm. and we had a well visit at the dentist for our, my daughter. And as we were walking through the parking parking lot, we're just, you know, how kids talk, blah, 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 blah. And they're just talking. And he goes, why does everything spooky happen when the clock strikes 12? What about, what happens when the clock strikes 1? And I'm like, Ooh, I don't know. Let's see. And so we started just kind of riffing off each other. And, you know, when the clock strikes one, mummies come undone. He's like, ooh. When the clock strikes two, witches stir their brew. And I was like, ah, I was cackling. And uh, and they and so I was like, wow, this is something. Like, let me write it down. Uh-huh. Because they get so many ideas all the time. And they just, you think you're going to remember them. And you never do. Yeah. You never remember them. You have to write them down. So if you get this, like, moment of just inspiration, mm-hmm. always write it down. Mm-hmm. Like, take the time. And I had my notebook there and my pen and I just wrote I wrote it down as many as I could really quickly mm-hmm. um, and then I discovered that some were impossible to rhyme with I'm like oh no what am I going to do um, like 7 and 11 and 12 and those yeah. are really tough so like you know what I'll just come back to those later and so I just I wrote down what I could and just put it together and then uh-huh. started sharing it with people uh-huh. and getting feedback. And uh-huh. a lot of people had feedback. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. It, but it was really good. And the more people who read it, the better the whole thing got. And, yeah. and then I then I started reaching out to other writers and saying, is this is this something that is worthwhile mm. and reaching out to teachers and saying, teachers, is this something you would use in your classroom? Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, it's one thing to be an entertaining book, but it's another thing to have a little bit of educational value, value yeah. so that you know parents feel good about buying it and teachers feel good about buying it and like yes I want this for my classroom absolutely this I is mean, a that's, teaching tool that's the X factor isn't it yes, you know having yes, <laughs> that's when you know you have everything lined up but that's what you need if you're going to create a book to sell in today's market like you have to have it has to be everything yeah and that's that's a really tricky thing to be able to come up with I have yeah. to yeah I'm speaking from personal experience <laughs> um, the, so the, the the other thing that's interesting about it is because to any uneducated reader I mean I include myself in this um, it's just a rhyming book yeah but it's a very specific type of rhyming. Tell me about this because this fascinates me. I've never heard of this. I mean, I I know iambic pentameter. Yes, Shakespeare. I, yeah, Shakespeare. exactly. Mm-hmm. But I don't know iambic trimeter. Trimeter. Yes. Okay. So this is where you get into the difference between rhyme and meter. And when I was working with my editor, she was she did more rhyming coaching and meter coaching okay. with me than actual editing. And she said, you know, the rhyme doesn't matter as much. You can have like a soft rhyme. Um, it's the meter that's more important. And if you start paying attention, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. the meter is the rhythm. If you start listening to music, you'll notice that a lot of songs don't rhyme, mm-hmm. but it still works. 
And you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't rhyme at all, but yet it still works. So Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown and Jill came tumbling after. After and water do not rhyme. Yeah. Not even close. Mm -hmm. But it's the beats that Mm -hmm. matter, the Mm -hmm. after and water. Yeah. And it's where you put the stress on the syllable. So it's not even the number of syllables. It's where the stress falls in the syllable. And so it's very specific to the language you're speaking as well as different people from different regions of the country and the world and even dialects and everywhere. They pronounce things differently or they'll stress different syllables. Uh So it becomes a a minefield, if you will, or, or just a huge puzzle to try to put together the right words with the right stress in the right places and rhyme. Yeah. Uh, so this book has probably been edited 40, 50 times. And it's it's a short, it's a very it's the, short yeah. rhyming book. And you're like, this is insane. Um, but in terms of getting the right words and, you know, changing, uh, you know, at, when the clock strikes nine, the moon starts to shine. No, what jack-o'-lanterns shine. The candy is on mine. Like, there's so many different ways you mm-hmm. could put it together. Uh, but the the iamic is uh, unstressed, stressed, unstressed, stressed. So da 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 where you have, you know, a soft beat and hard beat, soft and hard, an alternating pattern, and then trimeters, how many feet per line. Uh-huh. So the feet is the, the hard beats. Wow. So pentameter is five hard beats per line. Mm-hmm. You could have more soft beats, mm-hmm. but then it wouldn't be iamic. So the iamic is the alternating soft, mm-hmm. hard, soft, hard. Mm-hmm. So it becomes, and again, it's, it's fascinating <laughs> though. I mean, it's, it's really. I didn't realize how much of the English language I didn't know until I started doing this. I'm I like, am oh my goodness. fully aware of how much <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I, I, li- I know the tip of the iceberg in terms of. You yeah, think you have yeah. a handle on the no. language as a native speaker. You're like, English, I've got down. Like Swedish, maybe not, but English, I've got down. No, no, English, I, I did not until, until taking this on. So are you the, you have plans to do, is it another? Another two, two, two books at this mm-hmm, point, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and are they going to be in the same style? I mean, um, so the it will, they will be rhyming and in meter. I don't think they're going to be in trimeter. They'll probably be in tetrameter or, or pentameter. So they'll be in four or five. So it'll still, it'll still have the same kind of rhythm. Um, but I don't, and it, then again, and then we can change if we if we rhyme within the line or if we rhyme between lines. So we can we can change it up and have fun with it. <laughs> so it really it really changes. But um, I'm excited about the Christmas book because that's going to focus on multicultural traditions at oh, Christmas. Oh, love it, love it. So when the clock strikes three, Donald Duck plays on Swedish TV. Yeah, I love it. Yay! <laughs> and I thought that was so much fun. But I need I need to create a cohesive story and uh-huh. not just plug in things that happen at certain times. It has to be yeah. To be a you know yeah. an authentic story as well so uh-huh. there, there's a challenge there cool okay yeah. and I because uh, so this is I think this to give a little bit of background to you you've already published two books yeah you're in well not here in Sweden that's not yeah. the right thing to say well, well, yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, yeah yeah you were here, in Sweden. here. Um, so it was knocked up abroad and then knocked up abroad again yeah and I think you know you've done this all through self-publishing yeah. am I right yeah it's just an incredible feat. How do you have the... Where does the... What's the word? Uh, I think... What's the word I'm trying to look like? Um, where does the energy come from? You have the... Yeah, I mean, it must. It takes a huge amount of energy to do self-publishing and campaigns and marketing and editing and seeing everything through to the end. Yeah. Where do you get it from? Where do you get the, the the sort of stamina to keep going? I think it's when you have a story in you that you have that has to come out. Yeah, like it just has to come out. And 
Um, it's almost a little, there's a little impatience on my part, which is why I self-publish. I just don't have the patience to pitch publishers and get rejected and get rejected and then have someone else take my vision and do it the way they, they see it, you know? And so I think it's, it's a little impatience and then a little control. And also with a little bit of ego that I can figure this out. I can figure this out. Uh, there's it, the, tra the traditional publishing is a formula. They're very formulaic. They, they do these things and I can do it not saying just as well as somebody else, but I can, you know, mm. if you have, if you have a budget and, and just like any career, there are parts of your job that you enjoy more mm -hmm. than others, yeah. uh, but you still have to do them. Of you still course. have to, you yeah. know, do, do all the steps. And so there are some parts of the publishing process that I enjoy more than others, but I see them all as a challenge. Mm. And since I did do the first two books were adult nonfiction, yeah. I'm like, you know what, let me try a children's book. It's illustrated. It's a different market. I'm sending different messages. I'm able to communicate differently. And really, I love it. My kids are young. And mm. by self-publishing, I don't have to wait years and years and years to get these books out, out yeah. to them. I, I really just hurried up and, and did a prototype so, so they could see it. So I could see them with my book in their laps when it was the right time. You know, if I went through the traditional publishing, it would be, you know, three or four years before yeah. it comes out and then they're too old for the book. You yeah. Know? And then they're not going to enjoy it. And they're like, wow, that was your project four years ago. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I feel, I feel, you know, having kind of gone through the sort of traditional publishing route myself and then fallen out of it, um, it's interesting. There is a, such, there is no kind of real in-between. There's some people who are like, no, 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 you have to go through a traditional publisher. Mm -hmm. Doing it any other way is just scary it's you know <laughs> unknown we don't know what the outcome's going to be um and then there's another sort of set set of thinking which is no 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 self-publish mm -hmm. you're in control you have you know you you can set the time limits whatever you you know you have yeah. it's all down to you and your vision that's the thing i think that sits with me much more comfortably self-publishing is that your vision isn't watered down or or played with or messed around with or so on right. and so forth now your vision could be wrong yeah and that's, and that's the risk you take when you self-publish of that, course which is why it's it's so important that you you still get all that feedback mm. from your target readers mm -hmm. and you you test it. i feel like a lot of self-publishers are just since they are inexperienced they're scared to share yeah they're scared to give their ebook away for free they're scared to do these things oh yeah. someone's gonna steal it oh someone's gonna beat me to market no no probably not like no one no one wants this book more than you so yeah. no one's gonna steal your book and by not sharing it you're actually missing out on a lot of that critical feedback because we don't have the experience of the traditional publishers where they publish thousands of books yeah. every year yeah. we don't have that experience we don't know what the market really wants mm. so you have to test it in different ways mm -hmm. and it is a risk I mean only 10% of traditionally published authors are successful and only 10% of self-published authors are successful so no matter what yeah. you're you're taking on some risk no matter which way you go it just yeah. depends on yeah how much Absolutely. control you want and and if you have the time and effort and energy to put into it mm. mm -hmm. and how did that kind of how did that um the the publishing the authorship the the, the um, authoring and the um publishing come into play with the career that you had 
let's go back to that question that I was going to ask you about <laughs> the going from sciencey nerd to yeah. creative force. How did that come about? What was the the journey there? Yeah, my my sciencey nerd days are are still going on, but they're limping along. And uh, I've I've taken on consulting roles in public health, and so I'll take on on a project by project basis, working mm-hmm. working with uh, the World Health Organization or working with the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. Uh, working with uh, Emory University, where I, my alma mater, where I went to school. So there are projects that come up uh, th- where they need uh, additional assistance or project lead or just a, some someone to help keep the that train moving along for that project. And so I, I take on those roles, uh, you know, ad hoc. Mm-hmm. And so I have some downtime in between. And uh, I had these stories brewing inside me, and yeah. I wanted to share, and they were resonating with people. And so I'm like, you know, I can figure this out. So mm-hmm. I kind of started transitioning more to that, and then it's taken off, and now it's taking over. And I was like, okay, I can keep pitching proposals and submitting grant proposals for these projects, and then they don't get funded, and it's a lot of my time wasted. Or I can focus my energy into building my own business mm-hmm. and, you know, being in more control of my income by pouring my energy into my own business so I'm going to focus on that and once I started doing that it really took off Mm -hmm. and then I'm then now it's balancing taking on clients and doing my Mm -hmm. books Mm -hmm. like doing my Mm -hmm. own creative Mm -hmm. work yeah because I wanted to talk about you have a you have you so you have the you have um books and then you also have Lisa Furlan Consulting which yes. is the, the, the crowdfunding yes. consulting company yes. so I, tell us a bit about that I help uh, so with indie authors self-publishing authors uh, there's often a lot of budget issues where to do a book properly costs money yeah and if you're doing it as a hobby, that's one thing. But if you're doing this professionally, you need to really invest in high-quality graphic designer, editor, all these things. Yeah. And that starts to add up. And children's book authors usually do a print run. They do a hardcover print run, and that requires a large investment up front. So if you're doing an illustrator, that could be 2000 to $4,000. Mm. And then um, a hardcover print run of, say, let's say 3,000 books, could be $7,000. So you're looking at an investment over $10,000 mm. per title. Yeah. Well, this starts to get unwieldy if you're not seeing sales royalties from your book. So uh, crowdfunding on Kickstarter or Indiegogo is often a really good solution mm-hmm. where you can offer your book up for pre-order and include extra rewards. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are interested in doing this, but it's not easy because nothing is easy these days. No. And so my consulting is to help them strategize and coach them and help them become more successful yeah. than they would if they were on their own. And I think that's maybe what some people don't actually realize about Kickstarter funds and, and, and any any crowdfunding um, campaign is that it really is about strategy. It's yeah. all about, you know, the planning and it's about the messaging. It's about what you can offer in terms of added value for people. Yeah. And that's, I have to admit, slightly scares me, intimidates <laughs> me <laughs> about crowdfunding. I was, uh, I was um, we met with my um, co-author a few weeks ago and we, we were discussing the, the whether or not we should go with the crowdfunding um, st- um, sort of, um, idea. And we both kind of sort of leaned back and went mm, no you know <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean it's really not for everyone and I think I wrote like a 10 reasons why you should not crowdfund your book mm-hmm. uh, blog because very specifically there are lots of ways to to do very similar things without crowdfunding yeah so you can use a lot of crowdfunding strategies that are lower stress lower stakes lower risk of failure all that kind of stuff um, because 
most crowdfunding campaigns do fail. I mean, yeah, seventy yeah. percent, over seventy percent of them fail. Mm. So when you're looking at that type of a rate, you're like, oh, I don't want to. Do I really want to do this and put all my time and energy into this? Mm. You know, mm. just to get this type of payback. Um, so it, it, there are. I've seen lots of different strategies succeed, though. Yeah. So it also becomes yeah. like, well, how do I choose what to do? What should? How should I set my goal? Um, who should I be reaching out to? And so. Yeah, and it's really also about audience, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, you 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 have to have your audience. Yeah, yeah. The crowd, the campaign comes last. (laughs) You need your audience will grow definitely, but Mm -hmm. you need to have an established base Mm -hmm. before you can launch anything, and that that's true for. Uh, launching a book or mm. launching an, an album. I mean, whatever mm. creative project you're trying to launch, you mm-hmm. have to have an established audience mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel then about being, you know, you have these two, you've created a, uh, I don't, that's, when I say created a career, it means like <laughs> you've made it up, which it is did. not why. But <laughs> I did. I totally did make this up. Well, so have I, so it's fine. Yeah, it's, but it's true. I mean, I think that's what we do as entrepreneurs is we mm. see holes in the market mm-hmm. and we see, we're in, I'm, I'm in a ton of Facebook groups and people just kept asking the same questions over and over again. I'm like, well, let me just write this down. <laughs> like, yeah. here's a blog, here's a video, here's a podcast, here's this, here's this. Mm-hmm. And you create solutions mm-hmm. that people, and you add value. And then you're saying, hey, if you want to keep working with me, I, you know, you monetize your knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah, because absolutely. otherwise 100%. people, people would just pick your brain for free. You're like, yeah, totally. I don't think so. Nah. You can schedule 10 minutes with me for free and then see if we want to work together. Yeah. But it's um, yeah, monetizing your experience and knowledge is something that a lot of people don't do. They're busy creating. They're busy creating and uh, creating their income flow through selling what they create. And then there are people who do that but also want to teach people or provide a service of some sort to help them create and everything i have learned about being an entrepreneur building your own business it all points directly back to you know creating a a very specific skill set that you have knowledge not skill set but knowledge and then you know understanding the value of that yeah and i think that's for me what i'm just kind of coming around to now is like okay this is what there's a there's a, a monetization here that we can that we can work with. But um, so do you feel that the term digital nomad applies to you, or do you are you much more? Well, I mean, yeah, I tell me I how, how do you feel about that term? Know. Well, so I'm not nomadic. I don't move anywhere. I stay yeah. I stay yeah. in my home. Uh, I work from home, and I mean I can work from elsewhere, but I, I work from my house. And um, I would say I'm I'm an untethered business. I could be anywhere. Um, but I definitely have a desk. I definitely mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. like a workstation. Yeah. And I'm I do not work well sitting by the pool. Uh, no. With with my feet poolside. Like that is not how my most pro- I'm not productive in that mm-hmm. way at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I don't live the glamorous digital nomad lifestyle. But I would say that I definitely have an un unanchored untethered business where mm-hmm. my my office can move anywhere yeah and i think that's the key isn't it yeah to being to li- to life abroad to, to creating a career abroad and i have I, I get asked a lot by a lot of listeners and and readers of littlegirlabroad.com is like how do how do i get a job mm-hmm. where do i go to get a job and i honestly don't feel as though i can answer that question i, I couldn't either because i don't have a job i have a job that i created for myself because no one else saw my my skill sets as valuable no one else saw exactly. my collection of who i am as valuable enough to hire mm-hmm. and i tried 
I tried really hard. Yeah. And I, I it, recently I was like, I need to stop applying for jobs and just focus on yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Because it's not going anywhere. Yeah. No one's no one is seeing this. And I had one recruiter call me and she said, Lisa, you have such an amazing resume. It's very interesting. And I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> but she didn't say it was good enough to Isn't get a job. It was just, it was very interesting. And I think when you, if, if you come from somewhere else and you don't fit neatly into a box, the HR can just check, 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 check all the boxes. You're going to run into issues mm-hmm. getting a job mm-hmm. easily. You yeah. can still do it, of course. Just fix your resume to check the boxes. Yeah. You know, structure your LinkedIn profile to check their boxes. Know mm-hmm. what boxes they're looking for and then design you know, go back, go backwards and design yourself. Mm-hmm. I just, ha- I don't have the patience to do that. I don't have. I'm the same. I just and, don't. And I'm not I, you know, do that. the older I get as well, the more I'm like, why am I pretending? You know, why, <laughs> why not pretend, but why, do, why am I trying to, you know, fit into somebody else's way of doing things right. when, you know, I've built up this particular platform. I've built up this community. I've built up this, you know, this, yeah. Everything. thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> this thing um and you know I and I was similar to you I got to a point a couple maybe last year a couple of years ago where I just went enough mm-hmm. let's just focus 100% on this see where it can go and yeah you know now we have co-founders on board and we're building a new product and it's going to be fantastic it's going to be great anyway so I totally get where yeah. you're coming from it's it's it, you just get to a point for me personally where it's just not worth it anymore or it's not worth the, yeah, it's not just worth your time or your, you know, or the, no, re- the, the you feeling, never get a rejection. <laughs> you never get the call, but yeah, you never get the rejection that keeps happening again and again. Yeah. So you spoke, interestingly, on that point, you spoke um, about um, being an, un- an untethered career mm-hmm. um, at uh, last year's Families and Global Transition Conference, which yes. was in Amsterdam. Yes. Is that right? In The Hague, yeah. In The Hague. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Close yeah. enough, yeah. Yeah. And what, um, tell us, like, did you offer them, sort of the people, the the audience, some advice about, you know, your untethered career? What would you, if you had any advice to give about somebody creating an untethered career, a listener, to some of the listeners here, what would you, what would you say? Well, I was, I was fortunate enough to be on a panel with other three very smart women next to me. So I felt, I felt very, you know, there, there was a team effort involved in terms of giving advice. Um, but a lot of the advice was, you know, how how do you build a business that's profitable? Yeah. Everyone wants to know. Like, yeah. How do you make it profitable? And uh, that's such a difficult question to answer in mm. one one sentence. I mean, that's a whole thing. Mm. But you're not going to be profitable for a long time. And I think that. Mm. But I do think that you have to set um, a time timetable for yourself, and you say you set income goals that are reasonable but will stretch you a little and say, you know, this year I want to do this. And then next year I want to double. And then the year after that I want to triple. Yeah. And and make it so that you are incentivizing yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of ways, we, we as entrepreneurs, we don't get any rewards for doing well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. other than personal satisfaction. I mean, so you <laughs> yeah. have to reward yourself. So yeah. say, okay, if I reach my income goal, I'm going out for a fancy dinner with my yeah. partner. Or I'm going, you know, if I... May, if I double my income goal, we're going to spend a weekend away. We're going to take a weekend trip and yeah. do this. You know, like really reward yourself and incentivize yourself mm-hmm. so that you do start to see the changes. But mm-hmm. I think setting achievable goals and then monitoring your progress mm-hmm. towards making those goals is the only way to, to mm-hmm. see profitability. And how do you think somebody who sat, say for example, there's somebody sitting at home right now who is going, mm, I think I have this idea. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. Nah, it's not going to be. I'm not going to be able to build a business out of it. How do they go from that mindset 
to being working up towards something that is potentially yeah is a profitable business how, how yeah. does that happen well you have to have a l experience so you have to you have to have some sort of skills or expertise or knowledge or failure or something to offer people because mm -hmm. it, it's one that everyone has ideas but a lot of people don't act on them and they don't they don't try they don't do anything and so you have to have you have to have some type of resume in whatever set of skills that you have mm. and it can be collected across numerous jobs mm -hmm. that's fine um, but just saying okay this is how I'm gonna market the collection of these skills mm -hmm. and then you have to start getting clients if, if that if you're gonna do a client client-based service-based uh, business uh, you have to start getting people on yeah. board and and testing out like if you're gonna create a course or if you're going to offer consulting services or if you're going to um, plan retreats mm -hmm. like you have to start doing it mm -hmm. and uh, the best way to do that is to either offer a massive discount at first <laughs> yeah and then yeah. you start getting people's testimonials I mean so it's it's an iterative process and yeah. then you build you have to start building it on top of one another and I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned you have to have some failures there. Yeah. Because I, I cannot, I, I, I think that's such an important part of the business, the startup yeah. journey. For me it is anyway, because I've failed a lot in yeah. a lot of things. That's great. You know, and, and I'm, I'm more than happy to tell anybody about the failures that I've had, because I think it's really important to acknowledge that building a business is not just about all the successes that you've ever had it's right. actually about a journey which is kind of built on top of failure and failure and failure and I think one thing that people forget is that it's about you know it will happen it's not it's not it's not um, about if it happens right. it's about when it happens right because the only person that's gonna stop you from doing it or is you Right. So you're the one. I mean, and it's, a, it's to, for many people that's a huge burden to carry. It's a huge amount of stress to carry. But once you kind of get over that moment of, oh my God, you know, this is what? What if this doesn't happen? It's not going to happen. No, no, no. But it is going to happen. It's just when. Yeah. You know, it's just about you know when you're in the right frame of mind, or all the things align, or you have the right connections, or you know, all of these things. Um, and that for me was a big wake-up call when I realized that it's not just about you know um, yeah you're not relying on other people it's all just down to yeah. you so you're the one that's gonna have to drive it forward um, but yeah failure I think is a really big important thing to talk about it is. <laughs> it is and failure means that you're growing and that you're trying things mm. and that you're trying new things and you're you're thinking outside the box and so yeah failure is and responding to your audience because at the end of yeah. the day Everything that you do as a small business or as a startup, it has to have it has to be with the audience in mind, mm -hmm. with the market in mind. Yeah. Um, and or else there's no point in you creating the solution that you are coming up with. Right. Right. That's, that's I mean, I one of my clients, her Kickstarter campaign just failed, and uh, or didn't fund. It didn't fail because what what she realized was she said, okay, um, I I don't have money to do a hardcover print run. We're gonna do print on demand paperback mm -hmm. instead mm -hmm. and she probably ended up saving herself yeah. thousands and thousands of dollars so it, it's not a failure it's a responding to the what the market is telling yeah. you and saying like either your messaging is off or you're not reaching the right people yet um, but if you printed that many hardcover books and then had to pay for warehousing and pay mm -hmm. for storage you're, you're just gonna eat up all yeah. your money like yeah. there's no point so I think it's such a huge 
a benefit actually to fail in a lot of ways. It can save you from failing in a different way later on. And so yeah. you, you look at it this way, oh no, I failed, but did you? Maybe that is a, a little course correction that mm. you need mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. you on the right path. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so tell us when the book is going to be ready or is going to be, when does the campaign end and when is it going to be published and how can people, <laughs> how can people help uh, uh, help you get to your campaign um, target? Yes. So the campaign target, we blew past that in three days. Oh my days. God, of course we did. <laughs> of course we did. Uh, a little strategy, right? No, but I would I would love to reach as many readers as possible because the, the campaign is all about add, giving the readers more. And so when they pre-order the book through the, the Kickstarter campaign, they get more than okay. they would if they just ordered it on Amazon or at the bookstore or anything. Yeah. So th that's the goal is to offer, to reward the readers with, nice. by, by being an early adopter, you get lots of extras. And um, that was my goal. And so the campaign ends May 15th. And I need to do some more tweaking. Right now I'm building an educational activity pack to help nice. kids learn time in different mm -hmm. ways. So on the hour, on the quarter hour, mm -hmm. half hour, all those things. Um, so I'm building that PDF now and getting it vetted through teachers to make mm -hmm. sure that it's the right age group and everything. Uh, so that'll be fun, a fun little mm -hmm. activity pack included with every pre-order. And uh, yeah, it's just it's fun and exciting and it's fun to be part of something that that moves forward and i know that the readers of this book will love the next books to follow and so yeah. the whole idea is to develop this this super fan base mm -hmm. of super fans who love the book and then mm -hmm. will rush out and get the next one and get the next one mm -hmm. and so there won't be a huge launch for all the other books i can't <laughs> oh my gosh i'd be exhausted um but yeah so i think the the the, the energy around this book launch will go into the, the next. Yeah. We'll, we'll build a nice catalog of, mm -hmm. of books for kids to read. And can we follow you on social media somewhere? Absolutely. What's you can follow me on social media. I'm on uh, at Lisa Ferland underscore, which uh -huh. is a little tricky, on uh, Instagram, and uh, Lisa Ferland Consulting on Facebook. Fantastic. Great. Uh, well, good luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank I mean, you. you've, you've already fulfilled your uh, your goal, but yes, I know there's always, can always be gravy. more. Yeah, yeah, so it can always be more, and I would I would love to reach as many readers as possible. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, And one more thing before you go, I have a question. Um, a couple of days ago, and this is something that I'm, I think I'm going to start asking all of my um, uh, uh, guests, because the majority of the guests that I have on here, they're usually based in Sweden and from somewhere else. Um, what, um, somebody wants, Somebody recently asked me, um, do you feel like Sweden is your land? Mm. Now, it's a Swedish person that asked me that question. Country. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this land translate that. Land. <laughs> yeah. um, do, how do you, do you feel, do you feel, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like Sweden is your land or, you know? I do. Okay. I do very much. I feel like I have become super Swedish. Maybe more Swedish than some other Swedes I know. <laughs> I've become very Swedish. Are you in a rush? In a lot of ways. Are you in a rush to become Swedish? No, I'm not in a rush. I think it's just happening without me know without me realizing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Until I run into a cultural situation and I react in a way that's completely different than what I would have reacted to, or I'm back in the US and reacting. Yeah. I think that's, that's the, the biggest. Thing. That's the biggest one is when you're in the U.S. and you see everyone just saying, mm -hmm. "Oh yeah, this is normal," and you're like, "What? What? No, no!" And you know, oh my goodness, like I'm so Swedish. Like yeah, this would yeah. never happen in Sweden. Um, and so I think, yeah, I've become. Yeah, I would say Sweden is my land for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. My are adopted you, land. Your adopted land. Are you Are you thinking about 
swapping your citizenship. I'm already set. I'm dual citizen. Are you? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that was a few years ago. We, okay. we did that as soon as we could. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Just because of the political climate, you never know when things are going to come. Well, yeah. More I difficult, mean, less difficult. So we just went with it. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I kind of feel a bit torn about this at the moment. I don't think I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm ready to become Swedish yet. Would you, um, would you be only Swedish or could you be dual? Oh, I could be dual. Okay. So it's no, there's no problem with that. But um, I but the, I feel like the reasons that I'm doing it are not the reasons that I would like to be doing it because of Brexit and mm-hmm. because of all the situation and so on. Um, so I just, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just being stubborn. I think the more, the more passports you have, the more stability you have, honestly, because yeah. you can can do anything you want really. that's true that's a good way <laughs> you of travel it. in different ways that's if you lose way. a passport it's still yeah that's true passport. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true there's some more stability there but no i mean it, i think it's it's really good for you to be so mindful of the reasons for choosing citizenship yeah. and the doors that it opens or the doors that it closes or mm-hmm. just be aware of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think yeah but it's um it's I, i'm a feel a bit conflicted about it at the moment but i think it's just me getting over myself to be honest <laughs> and doing it it's but i i do agree i think um it was so easy to get swedish citizenship and for us we were shocked we were like well, this is crazy mm. they just they said now you're swedish citizens we didn't have to we didn't have to do anything really. Just filled out an application and sent in money. Bam, we're done. Five yeah. days later, and it did. We we kind of lost a little bit of the symbolism. And yes, you you can go to the the thing at Stats who said where you the par- celebrate. Yeah, the party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a little ceremony and they welcome the new citizens. But you know, we're we're in a different commune. It would be a smaller thing. So we were just kind of. Um, just shocked at how how quickly it was and so if if you want if you're tying all this this thought and energy and emotion Mm. into it i would encourage you to celebrate when it happens so that you you mark the occasion as Mm -hmm. like okay this is part of my cultural identity and now this is part of my actual Mm -hmm. citizenship Mm -hmm. identity Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. not just on paper but like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm now a citizen and Mm -hmm. so i feel i feel obligated to speak more swedish all the time I think the thing that yeah 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 that's true yeah I should be better um, I think the, the the thing that really it was last September when the Swedish elections took place mm-hmm. and I was able to exercise my political political right for the first time in about six years wow. for various reasons um, because um, the last couple of or the last year or something when I was at home um, the, I wasn't able to take part in the Scottish referendum because I was living in England oh, wow. and then when I came over to Sweden I wasn't able to take part in a couple of other things because I was living in Sweden so it really felt like a bit of a yeah it, 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 I guess in a sort of way in a coming home thing but also in a you know, okay, I feel part of a democracy again. Yeah. I feel as though I can, uh, I can have my say, and my voice is mean something. Yeah. Um. So that kind of was also another part of it. Oh, but yeah, I think it's, it's really important, and I, I love the fact that Sweden grants, you know, local local residents. You don't even have to be a citizen. They yeah. the right to vote in your local election because yeah. they realize that local politics do affect you. Yeah. And so you should have a voice in, yeah. in what happens. And I, I think everyone should exercise their yeah, democratic absolutely. right to vote. Absolutely. Yeah. I voted as a Swedish citizen. It was it was empowering empowering and uh, I felt I did. I felt like I did my not just my civic duty, but I was eager mm-hmm. to be involved and be mm-hmm. involved in my local community. So yeah. it's really oh, yeah. nice. Well, thank you very much for talking. um, And thank you very much for telling us about your book. I'm very excited about um, seeing it come to fruition and what the final 
the final version of it will look like. It's very exciting. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, if you would like to follow Lisa on her Instagram account, it's at Lisa Furland underscore, yeah. or on Facebook at, at Lisa Furland. No, Lisa, Lisa Furland Consulting. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. How incredible is that lady? Anyway, she totally, every time I speak to her, I come away feeling oh, just so much more positive about life in general. <laughs> so again, thank you to Lisa. Um, we will be um, adding all of her details, social media links, you name it, whatever, um, on the uh, the show notes for this for this episode. Um, and please do go to her Kickstarter campaign. Um, again, the link to that will be in the show notes for this episode. Um, support her, back her, encourage her. It's um, yeah, it's a fantastic uh, project that she's she's working on right there. But anyway, on to the next stage of our podcast. Um, first of all. Uh, we are looking for sponsors. If you know of anybody who would like to feature on our uh, podcast, as I said, we're attempting to try and make this a little bit more uh, uh, regular. We're going to have a, a, a weekly weekly episode. Um, and if anybody out there is looking to be featured on a podcast, um, please do let us know. We're up for working and collaborating with lots of people um but yeah in order for us to do so and for it to be more regular we do need sponsors so we're open to listening to hearing from anybody out there who would be interested in sponsoring our um our little podcast preferably something to do with kids or parenting <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, beggars can't be choosers. Um, uh, second of all, uh, we're going to start introducing uh, a little rundown of what's on the website each week, just to let you guys and inform you guys um, what you what you what you could what you could be uh, getting more info about, particularly when it comes to weekend events. Um, now, of course, you can all come and join our uh, weekly emailer that goes out, our events emailer, and it goes out once a week, and all it has on it is the weekend planner, all of our top tips for what's happening that weekend, and a couple of our main features um, from that week. So there's nothing on that that's going to be annoying or get in the way, and we promise we will only email you once a week. <laughs> um, but it is really useful. And it just means that everything's tied up in a, neatly in a nice little email instead of you having to search around on the website for it. Um, but you can join that. You can, again, we'll put the, the link to, to joining our event emailer on uh, the show notes. But you can head straight to the website right now and click on the menu and you'll find a little uh, title that says join weekly emailer. And uh, that's where you can find it. So, but without further ado, let's, um, we're going to have a look at some of the features that we've got on um, our website. Did you know that tomorrow in Sweden, it's Hoklad Bollar Dag? Um, uh, yeah, so last week, uh, the amazing cat who does a regular feature, um, a regular blog for Little Bear Broad, um, wrote about cake days. And the Swedes' obsession with how many cake days they have, they, you know, who needs, you know, who needs an excuse to, to eat cake? But the Swedes do. Um, <laughs> so they've created cake days. And uh, yeah, tomorrow, Saturday, the 11th of May, if you're listening to this in the future and you missed it, I'm really sorry. But tomorrow, <laughs> Saturday, the 11th of May is 
kokladbollar dag. Um, and I love kokladbollar. Um, I can't say it in English because if I do, it makes me smirk. And I just, well, I blame South Park for that, basically. Uh, but kokladbollar, they're such a great thing to make with kids because they are, they don't need any baking necessarily. You can make them in a hundred million different ways, adding different flavors. Um, and they're just the right amount of messy for kids to get their hands on without too much cleaning up afterwards. Um, so I, I think they're great for kids. Uh, but you can um, find out more about the cake days uh, and, and you know whether or not your favourite cake has a special celebration day in Sweden um, by reading Cat's uh, feature on the website. And it's, it's on the front, the, it's on the landing page, the front page of the website. So you, you won't be able to miss it. The other thing that we released this week was Summer Festivals in Stockholm 2019. Um, we were really excited to hear that Lollapalooza, one of the world's biggest music festivals, is coming to Stockholm in June. And with it, their kids festival, their mini kids festival, Kidsapalooza, um, that happens sort of within the, the, the main festival. Um, and it's going to be taking place in Järdet, which is uh, a little bit sort of north um, of the main city centre. Uh, it sounds so fantastic. It's going to take place over three days. Um, there are four stages and 70 different artists taking place, including the Foo Fighters, Lana Del Rey, Leaky Lee, uh, the Hives, Billie Eilish, also Travis Scott, so, so many more um, also going to be taking place there. Um, but the, the thing that I'm really excited about is the Kids of Palooza. So it's a mini festival with music, dance, um, there's crafts, there's arts, there's all sorts of things that you can take place in. Um, if you do buy a ticket for the, 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 the Kids of Palooza Festival, it comes with a pair of ear protectors. Um, but they do um, say that... The, there is no daycare so it's not the kind of place you can drop your kid off and just you know walk away you have to be with your kid at all times um but i think it will be a fantastic festival uh, i'm so excited about it um so we uh in celebration of it and our anticipation and excitement um we've put together a list of all the other festivals that are taking place in stockholm over the course of the summer now we have theater film music dance culture everything there's even a mini book festival taking place so you can find the link to that in the show notes that we've put together and you'll also find it on the front page of the website too it's called summer festival stockholm 2019 and uh, it just makes my heart warm thinking about the fantastic Stockholm summers and oh, oh it makes me so excited um so yeah that's um our big main features for this week I'm very very happy also um but this weekend moving on to the next section um you know the closest thing at hand rolling down into the weekend what's happening the weekend planner well our highlights for the weekend planner are uh Saturday uh, is Barn Langs Marshan, which is uh, something that the little bit little bear abroad has um, sort of uh, cheered on or um, been a fan of f f since we started. Um, it's uh, an org. It's organised by the RFSU, um, which is the kind of uh, yeah, forbidden for. Um, Ah, sexual health awareness and um, uh, lots of it works 
with global partners like uh, Medicine Sans Frontières, um, Doctors Without Borders, and um, to really open up the discussion about sexual health globally, um, mother's health, um, uh, uh, the mortality rate in birth and so on. Um, and that's what this Barnes Vangs Martian is all about. It's about putting a foot down and marching to make sure that we are aware of how deadly birth can be. Um, not just, you know, in developing countries, but all but everywhere. Um, and how we have to fight for the safety of women um, to have the right to secure safe births. It's a fantastic day out. I love it. It's great. Take the buggy, take a picnic, you know, take a placard. And just, yeah, March and there's music and everyone's, yeah, it's a fantastic day. Um, and this year, they've actually decided that they're going to be doing a, a Lopis, a Barn Lopis at the end of the, the March. Um, and I think, if I'm right in thinking, it starts um, at Sergels Tori at one o'clock and then they make their way to Humle Gordon, I think. But don't count me on that. But it definitely starts in Circulatory this year. Um, and they'll usually march down Drottengatan towards um, the Riksdag um, and then back up um, over the bridge to, I think, Kungsdragården and then up to Humligården. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it's super fun. Um, and uh, particularly um, in this kind of uh, climate, uh, you know, post to be too, um, it, it's, uh, it, yeah, <laughs> you get it, you see some, yeah, there's some pretty funny, um, funny stuff happening. But uh, it's, it's, and it's the great thing, of course, is it's family friendly. Uh, also, this weekend happening is uh, a completely different uh, on a completely different end of the spectrum. Bablana um, is back. Um, Bablana's Andra Musicalan is back, um, and this time it's at Intiman Theater. Um, now, their first show that they did, uh, Bablana Firsta Musicala, was a massive success, um, uh, and uh, this time around, uh, it's, it seems to be even even more so. Um, but there's only four dates, so it's this weekend and uh, the 18th and 19th. They're going to be um, at Intamin Theatre, and then they head back up the road again, or down the road, I think, to Gothenburg. Uh, so don't miss out on that. Um, if you've got any little ones who are massive fans of BB and DD and, you know, the others, I can never remember all of their names. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, I think, worth, worth the pennies. Uh, Bonnier's Konst Hall is hosting a family reasoning on Saturday. Um, I think this is the first time that they've done this. They're quite intermittent, quite, um, they don't happen very regularly. Um, but it's a real opportunity to get there if you have kids um, and don't get the chance to go out to these things very much. Um, family reasoning and uh, the programme manager, Elian Eck, is going to be running that show today, uh, that one. Um, uh, I think it's just a general reasoning of the entire uh, um, the entire gallery, um, but it should be, I think, uh, a really fascinating uh, afternoon out. And um, Sunday, uh, I don't know if I, I, you know this is someplace I've never been to before. Valdemar's Ude, uh, Prince Eugene's Valdemar's Ude in Durs Holm. It's way past 
Grönland, um, but kind of on that same the same side of um, uh, of the island, uh, and it's an incredible collection, um, art gallery collection in this stunning house that was built by Prince Eugene um, to house his collection with the most gorgeous gardens. Um, um, they are running this the Valdemarje they are running family Sundays, uh, which have which involve um, a, a kind of a, a walkabout tour, and also the opportunity for the kids to actually get their hands on painting and sculpturing in their workshop. Um, now. I don't think you can book ahead. I think it's um, first come, first serve. Um, and there is a small fee um, that you have to pay in order to take part. Um, but it isn't much. But, I mean, it's definitely worth the trip. These weekend, When these weekends, the weather is so... It's been really, be really beautiful. Um, it's a really stunning um, part of Stockholm to see. Um, and I think it would be definitely a, a whole day out uh, out there but yeah lovely and that's it that's our recommendations for this week um please do as i said get in touch with us if you've got any uh requests or any um recommendations um and also um yeah we love to hear the feedback so please keep letting us know as I said, um, we're going to keep trying this out, see how it works, linking everything up. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, one other thing before we go. Um, some of the listeners might not know this, but we, Little Bear Abroad, is now absolutely in complete management of the International Playgroup, which happens on Wednesday and Friday, despite the fact that I have been running it for the last three years. It's taken that long. So um, we're going to be changing things up a little bit. Nothing much apart from the name. That's it. It's just called the Little Bear Broad International Playgroup now. Um, and that'll be that. Um, hopefully, if not anything, we're going to be starting to add more activities into the event, into the, the playgroup, um, and also opportunities to get your hands on things that you might not normally have got your hands on, like books and um, other bits and pieces. So just um, keep an eye out for information. There's a Facebook group that you can join. That's probably the best place to get um, all the details of that. Um, and if you if it's not suitable for you, pass it on to somebody else that you know who might find it suitable. Um, let them know. Um, it's an English speaking playgroup. It's not for just English natives. It's for anybody who's international who just wants to hang out with other international people. Um, sometimes you just need a break from speaking Swedish um, and you just want to meet people who are in the same boat as you. That's all. So, yeah, um, that's about it. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.